Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? It's the first week of Advent, right? Hey, I want to thank all of you who have been praying for me. Um, Last week, you know, I was in kind of a a weakened state, and I'm still only about 50%, I need to be honest with you. Um, It got worse throughout the week. And then Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving morning, I was sitting there, and Tracy said, this is your medication. And I called my doctor, and sure enough, um, I was on a medication for my stroke prevention that was causing all the anxiety and the depression. So I'm off of it now, by the grace of God. Praise God. And they put me on another one. (laughs) And uh, I'm about 50%, but I'm here, and I praise God that I'm here, and I feel stronger even as I say that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your prayers. Your prayers are sustaining me. Uh, Your prayers sustain the leadership of this church. Believe me, we need your prayers. As I said last week, and I don't know if I really said this, this has probably been the the hardest year that I've ever pastored. This year has been tough. And today we're going to start a series, um, Advent, The Weary World Rejoices. (laughs) Stephanie, our new communications director, came up with that title, and when we first saw it, we went, that's the one. The world is weary. Would anybody agree with that? So we're going to pray um, together. Father, thank you so much that you are the faithful one. We acknowledge you now. I acknowledge my desperate need for you, God. But I thank you that you are here now, that you are healer, that you are redeemer, and that you are hope. We bow before you now as our king and acknowledge you as the one who needs to guide us now and the one who needs to speak to us. So I ask now in the precious name of Jesus that you would use this weak earthen vessel to lead us deeper into an awareness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have a little more stage light, please? That'd be great, thank you. So um, I just wanna go over with you where we're going to be the next four weeks, starting today. We're gonna be talking about the traditional kind of words that are associated with the weeks of Advent. We love to come to Advent because we do something more liturgical, something more traditional. And each of the candles represents a different word. So today we're going to talk about hope in Jesus. Next week you'll hear about faith in Jesus. The third week you'll hear about joy in Jesus. Anybody want more of that? Peace in Jesus. Anybody want more of that? And of course on Christmas Eve we're talking about the Christ, the Christ child. Now we're talking about him every week. Um, But I'm excited to talk to you today about the word hope. And if you were with us throughout the Advent Conspiracy, you know that we challenged you in a number of ways. One, to worship fully throughout this season, to spend less, to give more, and to love all. It's my job and our job throughout this series to help you worship fully. The spending less, giving more, and loving all, that's up to you and Jesus. But, but it's our job to help you worship fully throughout Advent and that you would come out of Advent worshiping fully each moment and every day of your life. Worship fully, is that really possible in a world that is filled with weariness? That's the question. How is it possible? I mean, the ways of the world are set before us all the time. The the weight of the world and the worries of this life are set before us all the time. These are the things that are making us weary, right? COVID, the riots, racial injustice, the election, the political divisiveness, and even the murder hornets, which I hear are on their way out, praise the Lord. Aren't all of these things making us weary? The truth is no, absolutely not. It's none of these things that are making us weary. I'm not talking about just a day of sadness here or there. I'm not talking about the deep grief that comes over the loss of someone in your life. These are understandable forms of pain. 
What I am talking about is if you're weary, especially at the point where you're feeling hopeless or in despair or harried or worried or wrung out or strung out, if you are weary, it's because you've allowed yourself to come to that place. The scripture is clear. Do not allow yourself to become weary. Let's be honest, life is incredibly hard. Anybody say amen to that? There's necessary pain. There's pain that comes to you, and then there's unnecessary pain, pain that we cause as a result of our foolishness and our sinful inclinations. As a good friend of mine who was a counselor years ago said, I am all for helping people eliminate the unnecessary pain in their lives. I hope to help us together do a little bit of that today to eliminate some of the unnecessary pain in our lives. Jesus does not want us to live under heavy burdens. This is why he said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is one of my life verses and I would encourage it to be yours too because Jesus offers us an alternative way of living to the world around us and it is an unburdened life. Now it's not a painless life. Don't misunderstand. This life is filled with pain. Pain and problems come to us. We do not have to go looking for them. But you know, one of my favorite little sayings is this one, pain is inevitable. Do you know the rest? Misery is optional. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Pain is going to come to you. But how you handle your pain will in large part determine how miserable you become. Do you take your pain to a bottle? Do you take your pain to food? Do you take your, your pain to accomplishment, to money, to your husband, to your wife, or to shopping, to busyness or activity, or to even your work? Or do you take your pain to Jesus? See, when you take your pain to Jesus, he is the great revealer and the great healer. Jesus said, in this world, you will have much trouble. He didn't say, in this world, you're gonna have a little trouble. He said, in this world, you will have much trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now look, these words, take heart, can be translated, have hope. So I just want you to listen to this this scripture one more time. In this world, you will have much trouble, but have hope, I have overcome the world. Hope is essential as light to life is the air that we breathe. Let's define hope together. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. A lot of people think that hope has to do with what we want. That's not true. And its strength somehow is in the, in the amount of desire that we have. That's not true. Biblical hope is based on the expectation of what God has promised. So I want you to take a minute with me and think about God's promises like a few of you to throw up your hands and yell out a promise of God. What is something that God has promised to give us? Just put up a hand, someone, right there, Susan. Peace, thank you. Eternal life, life. praise the Lord, someone else. Never leave us nor forsake us, his presence with us all the time. I heard somebody over here say something. Redemption, my gosh, we're hitting them all the ones I'm gonna talk about today, that's awesome, praise God. Somebody else, over there, bro. Undying love, praise the Lord. You see, he says, have hope. I've overcome the world, and biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness, not ours, not in the desire that we have, but in the faithfulness of God. Listen to what Hebrews 11.1 says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You see, faith and hope are clearly connected. The evidence of things not seen 
So how do we bathe ourselves in the hope that God brings to us in Jesus Christ this Advent? Well, first thing we have to do is look at some of the ways the enemy uses to come steal our hope. You know, we do have an enemy, amen? His name is Satan. Jesus came that we would have life and life to the fullest. That means that our lives would be filled with hope. But Satan comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. So what does he use? Well, I want to talk to you some things that he uses in our lives. I call these hope killers. Here's the first one, worry. How many of you worry? Praise the Lord. You know why? Because if you worry, you know how to meditate. You're just meditating on the wrong stuff. That's all. A little more house light if I can, please. A little more light, a little more light. So um, worry is, is really meditating. It's just meditating on the wrong stuff. And so um, uh, we're gonna talk about that more today. How about catastrophizing? This is a word that Tracy and I made up years ago, I believe, or we got it from somebody else. This is a highly developed sense of worry that has you thinking into the future horrifically. Now you go into the future and you start horrifyingly thinking about what's gonna happen to either you, your children, the ones you love, your house, your finances, your work, COVID, fill in the blank, murder, hornets, whatever, and you're now living in the future, worrying about what's coming in the future, and we call this catastrophizing. How many of you catastrophize? Yeah, welcome to the human race. This is where we project dismally into the future, catastrophizing. Lack of vision. This has to do with no compelling direction for your life. Habits of despair. Now look, this is the Eeyore complex. You've heard me talk about Winnie the Pooh before. Tracy and I love to sit down and read us some poo. We love Winnie the Pooh. We love it so much because each character really describes us. Pooh has an eating disorder. He is definitely a food addict, no question about it. Just like me. Piglet has an anxiety disorder. Clearly, Tigger is ADHD. (laughs) And Eeyore is certainly clinically depressed. You know, he's, oh, he's always everything. You know, they say, hey, we're gonna have a birthday party for what's it matter anyway? What's it matter anyway? That is the song of the hopeless. What's it matter anyway? Not gonna change anything. Things are always gonna be the same as they were. Maybe you have just practiced habits of despair and you speak this language to yourself fluently of negativity and hopelessness. How about false hope? Placing your hope in who's elected. Do we even know yet? (laughs) Now I have to ask you that question because I'm on a 30 day fast. I'm fasted 30 days from all negativity in my life. I'm about 20 days into it and can I tell you I do not want to go back. I'm off social media. I may never go back to social media. Social media has its place. All I know is that when I got there and I started watching what people were saying, even some of you people, I was like, oh my gosh, stop! (laughs) And then I just had to back out because I have no control. Stopped watching the news. A week ago, I had to ask my team the same thing. Do you know who president is yet? And they're like, nope, I'm okay, just keep me posted. Not watching any of that, but what I've been doing is feasting on the goodness of God. What I've been doing is feasting on the character of God. I'm gonna bring some of that to you today. But placing hope in who is elected and who you will marry and what you will eat and what you don't or what you own or what you wish you did, placing hope in anything other than God will always lead to a place of hopelessness because all these things will fail you. Every single one of them. How about being over-responsible for others? This is huge. This will lead to hopelessness in your life. This is where you spend more time on other people's side of the fence than your own. And you're over-responsible for their lives in some way that you're trying to manage it and you martyr out or you manipulate and you mother way too much. Now, I'm not just talking about women doing this. I I can be a mother too. That didn't really sound very good, but I... (laughs) I can mother, manipulate, I can martyr, I can try and manage other people's lives. 
And when you try and manage other people's lives, you're acting like you're the manager of the universe. And do you realize that when you try and do this, you will always ultimately fail? Why? Because you are not in control. This will always lead to despair. Now, you can bottom out. That's a good thing. And say, I can't try and do this anymore. And God said, I'm glad you're there now. Now you know you can't change other people. But attempting to change other people will always lead to despair. Giving your power away to other people, what I call this is just focusing somehow, basing your, your identity or your well-being outside of your relationship with God on other people will always fail you. You will become a chameleon. You are, you'll try and change your color to the people around you and you will lose your very self because you're trying to figure out how to be accepted and loved. Guess what? You already are. So one of the most beautiful things you can say sometimes is, in Jesus' name, no. Can you say that after me? In Jesus' name, no. That's called a boundary, and Jesus set them all the time, and he still does. Lies, shame, unhealed wounds, all these can lead to a sense of despair. So you might be thinking, so Jeff, what am I supposed to do with all of that? For crying out loud, you just made me depressed. Okay, let me boil it down to one thing. Jesus always had a way of doing that. He boiled it down to one or two things. If you struggle with any of the above that we just talked about, it comes from one important fatal error. You've allowed yourself to become distracted. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus. I've done it regularly. Never once does the Bible tell us to focus ourselves on the ways and the weights and the worries of this world. The Bible is clear and definitive on this one point. We are to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So here's the formula. Jesus kept his eyes on the Father and he kept his eyes on the joy set before him. That was you and me buying us back into relationship with himself. You see, he had it in his heart, his deep heart of love to buy you back. And he only submitted himself to the Father because the Father's love bought you back. So Jesus kept his eyes on the Father and he kept his eyes on the joy set before him, which was us, and now we're supposed to keep our eyes on him. Simple formula, right? Maybe simple, but not easy. Why is it so easy to get sucked into the ways and the weights and the worries of the world so that we become weary? You catch that four W's? Pastors like that kind of stuff. The ways, the weights, and the worries of the world make us weary. Why do we get sucked in so easily? Because the world shouts so loudly and we get distracted. Listen to this reading from Watchman Nee, a very famous pastor who loved God deeply. The title of this little paragraph is called Wearing Down God's People. Satan has, in fact, a plan against the saints of the Most High God, that's you, which is to wear them out. What is meant by this phrase, wear out? It has the idea of reducing a, this little minute, like minutely, then reducing a little further the next minute, reducing a little bit today and reducing a little tomorrow, thus wearing out is almost imperceptible. Nonetheless, it is reducing. The wearing out is scarcely an activity of which one is conscious. Yet the end result is that there's nothing left. He will take away your prayer life little by little and cause you to trust God less and less and yourself more and more, a little by little. He will make you feel somewhat cleverer than before. Step by step, you are misled to rely more on your own gift and step by step, your heart is enticed away from the Lord. Now, were Satan to strike the children of God with great force at one time, they would know exactly how to resist the enemy since they would immediately recognize his work. Satan uses the method of gradualism to wear down the people of God. You understand it's a process. So if the enemy uses gradualism to wear us down, the people of God, so too the Holy Spirit uses gradualism to build us up, to fill us with hope. But we must practice the presence of God. 
We must understand that God calls us to progress, not perfection. Say that after me. Progress, not perfection. This walk with Jesus sometimes is three steps forward, two steps back. Doesn't that stink? You know, somebody told me that years ago, Jeff, your walk with the Lord will be like three steps forward, two steps back. And I didn't want to believe them. I thought he was going to do it all at once. Don't you just wish you would get up and just throw it up over the toilet all at once and you'd be done with it, right? Praise the Lord. But guess what? If you were, you wouldn't trust Jesus because then you would think you were done and you would just go back to your old ways. He doesn't do it that way. He does it three steps forward and two steps back. And I remember when somebody told me that, I used to hang out at Loyola College in Baltimore on Sundays. I would go there and there was this big, long staircase. And I decided one time to walk that three steps forward, two steps back. Can I tell you that was really a pain? I started out and I'm like, holy crow, I'm not getting anywhere. But sure enough, I got a quarter of the way up and I'm like, oh, I'm making progress. Then I got halfway up and I'm like, man, this is exhausting, but I'm halfway there. Then, then three quarters of the way and I finally reached the top. Now look, it took me four times longer than it should have or could have, but it taught me something. Life is a process and knowing the Lord is a process. It's not an event. Be gentle with yourself. Let Jesus be gentle with you. Let him guide you on a peaceful path of making progress. You will one day be made perfect, but it's not here. It's when you get to be with him. We'll talk about that soon. So today we're gonna look at a story of two people who were set apart because look, if you wanna focus on Jesus and if you really want to experience this gradual change in your life, you must be set apart from the world around you. This is what the scripture calls it, set apart. And so we're going to talk about two people in a Christmas story today that were set apart from the world at the time of Jesus. But before we do, I want us to practice a brief meditation together. What is a meditation? It means to ruminate on the truth of who God is and what he has promised. If you obsess or you worry, as I've already said, you know how to meditate. You are just meditating on the wrong stuff. It means to reflect on the goodness and the character of God. It means seeking him and waiting on him until he replaces your anxiety with his peace. And your despair with his hope. I'm gonna read a quick meditation of David and I want you to listen very carefully. It's subtle, so it might take you a little bit to pick up on it. This is Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. Are you picking up on the pattern yet? I know it's subtle, but I could go on for another 10 verses and every verse has a couplet that says his love endures forever. David is meditating on the goodness and character of God. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you think David needs to know or to believe about the goodness of God? Any guesses? His love, you're like, oh, his love endures forever. (laughs) David needs to know that God loves him and that his love will never fade, that it endures forever. So here's the question I have for you today. What do you need to know and believe about God's character today? What do you really need to know about him today? I'll tell you, I was hit with some crazy spiritual warfare this weekend. My, my, my head was reeling with thoughts last night as I laid my head on the pillow. I'm just giving you one example. Your head's ever reel with thoughts when you lay your head on the pillow? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was happening to me last night. You know what came to my mind? mind the Lord said to me, I am your shield. Because I felt like I was being attacked. He said, I am your great shield. I am your refuge. I am your rock. I am the one on which you stand. I am the, your protector. I am the one. So all this stuff started coming to my mind. And I said, God, you are my shield. 
My life is in your hands. You see, what do you need to hear from God today? Because I want to give you a little meditation that we can practice together throughout the four weeks that we're together. It's very simple. I'm going to say it out loud, and then you're going to say it out loud after me. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are my hope. My life is in your hands. Can you say that with me? Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are my hope. My life is in your hands. Now look, you gotta say it like this gal down here was saying it because she was holding her hands out like this. She's praising the Lord. Can you hold your hands out like this? You just do that some ways, posture like this, hands open. Say it with me. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are my hope. My life is in your hands. Look, that's called holding all things loosely. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. What are you most inclined to worry about? What are you most inclined to become myopic and obsessive over? Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. Jesus, I surrender as general manager of the universe. I can't do it, Lord. I can't, but you can. I give you everyone and everything. Look, folks, many of you know, I had a stroke close to five years ago and you know, they're still playing with my medications and every once in a while they still throw me in a can and zap me and say, oh yeah, you're good, go home, you know. That scared me. You know what I had to do? I had to give my health to God. Does anybody else out there need to give their health to God? Anybody out there? Yeah. I pray for some of you folks. How about your kids? Any of you have kids? How many of you have to give your kids to God? I remember years ago, I was struggling with one of our kids. Our kids are great, but they're like kids. They're children. They're sinful people. They're beautiful, but they're sinners, just like us. And they mess up. And, you know, they do things that you don't like at times, and they worry you. And it's not really them who's worrying you. It's you who's worrying yourself. And I remember talking to John Burchard, one of our counselors, on the phone about one of our kids. And I was talking to him. He said, Jeff, how do you put your children up on the altar? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, geez, I guess I don't. Jesus, I give you everyone. Jesus, I give you everything. It's hard, folks. We're so inclined to think that somehow our efforts are going to make life work. Guess what? They never will. And the minute that we accept that, we stand on this beautiful act of surrender that allows God to replace our anxiety with his peace and our hopelessness and despair with hope that lasts forever. Why? Because our hope is in him. So you can fill in this blank with anything that you need to throughout these weeks. We're going to be talking about these four, hope, faith, joy, and peace. But you can fill in the blank with anything. And I've been filling in a lot. Jesus, you are my life. You are my love. You are my peace, my joy, my patience, my good, good God spirit, forgiving, filled with mercy, sovereign in control of all things, my rock, my refuge, and ever-present help in times of trouble. You are the one who provides. You are Jehovah Jehirah. My life is in your hands. God, you are my banner. You go before me. You are Jehovah. Jehovah Nisi, God, you are my healer. Jehovah Rapha, Lord, you are here with me now. Jehovah Shema, Lord, you are my peace. Jehovah Shalom, do you understand that we could go around this room and not repeat one aspect of God's character and we could go around forever because he's that good. Amen? Amen. Let's clap with that person, help them not feel alone. So throughout Advent together, let's focus together on the goodness of God and his character. And if we do, we will become people over time gradually who will be filled with hope, faith, joy, peace, love, and the beauty and presence of Christ himself. So today we look together at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the parents. These are the parents of John the Baptist, so they had stuff they could worry about. As I said, these were people who lived set apart from the ways, weights, and worries of the world, but they were people who struggled with things for sure. Do you understand that they were godly people, but they lived at a time that really was not unlike ours? Political unrest and upheaval, corruption, 
All kinds of diseases that could and probably would at some point take their life. Hatred among people of different skin colors colors and nationality. Ecclesiastes says this, there's nothing new under the sun. Can you just say that after me? So this can be a very comforting thought, especially when we find ourselves in the age of COVID and all that other kind of stuff, because you have to understand that we can't make our situation too novel. It's not really new. You know, Scandinavian people, they went to bed every night wondering whether a Viking was going to land on the shore and slit their throats. Isn't that a pleasant thought? No temptation has seized you except what is common to all men and women, and I'm just going to add a little line, of all time. Right? Let us not exaggerate the novelty of our situation that we find ourselves in today. Men and women of all time have endured hardship. And I'd venture a guess that even what we find ourselves in currently is most likely nothing in comparison to what many generations have suffered before us. Amen? But still, it's our pain. It is our pain, and I don't want to diminish that. And we pray that God would help us to use that pain in the right way, in the right measure to lead us into greater intimacy with him. So we're gonna read a story of intimacy with God today. And this is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's a long story, and I'm gonna read probably most, if not all of it. I have a timer set today. I am gonna end right at 10.15, so when this thing goes off, just know, just say, Pastor Jeff, you know, shut it down, okay? <laughs> Luke 1, I'm gonna read 5 through 27, then I'm gonna read another chunk after that. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now look, when you see these kinds of things in scripture, you need to stop and ask, what's going on here? Um, I'll tell you more in a few seconds, but Zechariah is a Levite. He's a priest, okay? And he's a lineage of Aaron. And you got Elizabeth, she's also in the lineage of Aaron, the priest, the high priest, right? So you have this priestly lineage, and we're gonna talk about the role of the priest in a few minutes. Six, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That means they were godly people, observing all the God's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Stop, you have to understand that this is a great shame in that culture that not being able to bear children was an indication that somehow you had sinned against God and there was judgment brought upon you and people would judge you. I wanna stop for a moment and I wanna apologize to some people in the body of Christ. There are folks here that are single. Sometimes I forget how difficult it is to be a single person in the body of Christ. We talk so much about marriages and we talk about the struggles of marriages and every once in a while I get to sit with a single person who gets honest with me and they say, Pastor Jeff, I love coming to Grace Fellowship Church. Can I tell you though, honestly, I hurt sometimes when I walk in there because I, I don't have a spouse. You know, we forget about you sometimes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There's other people too that I could go down a list who get marginalized in the body of Christ, but I just want you to know if you're here, God loves you and we love you too. We may not always show it well, but we truly do love you. I think Elizabeth and Zechariah had reason to wonder and to wonder because the cultural pressure that was put on them, I wonder if they wondered if God had maybe cursed them in some way or was holding back. I don't really know. It doesn't say it in the text, but I do know this. It was a great shame in the culture to be barren. This had been their whole lives. Eight, verse eight, once then um, Zechariah's division, that was his priestly division, was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. There we go. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. Now listen, that sounds kind of like, oh, he's going in to burn incense. This is a once and a lifetime opportunity and honor for a priest. This is going in to the Holy of Holies. This is going into the very presence of God. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is a big deal. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. Isn't that always the response? But the angel said to him, and isn't always this the response, do not be afraid. Can you say that after me? 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's Jesus. Jesus is coming. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Does this sound like a reasonable question? I mean, really, doesn't it sound like, hey, like, tell me how this is going to happen because like, I'm really, really old. My wife, like she's been barren her whole life. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Stop. Doesn't that seem a little severe? I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I read scripture and I go, God, what is going on? <laughs> the dude just asking a couple questions. Yes, he was doubting you. Yes, potentially he had no hope of a child. He was in this place of despair. But then your angel says, poof, can't talk until the kid's born. <laughs> when I ask a question like that, God always says something to me. And I want you to listen very carefully. When you get confused with scripture, this is what you need to hear God say to you. He says to me, Jeff, look deeper. Jeff, look deeper. Child of God, look deeper. When you come to something in the scripture that bothers you, don't turn the page. God has a gift for you. It's bothering you because he wants to change you. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why it took so long in the temple. Well, this was quite an ordeal going on. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, well, I imagine he would, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. She said, the Lord has done this for me. I'm assuming that's the pregnancy, not silencing her husband for all this time. <laughs> little pastoral humor. It's okay. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Mm. 26, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So here's this angel going to Elizabeth and now he's taking a little road trip over to, um, you know, the big one, <laughs> Jesus and Mary. I'm gonna pick up in verse 57, 80 through 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Her shame turned to joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he shall be called John. Now you can understand, unfortunately, a woman didn't have that place in this culture. And there's a reason that was true. But 61 says, they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. They argued with her. 62, then they made signs to the father. <laughs> I don't know what kind of signs to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. And I'm sure Elizabeth went, see, told you. <laughs> Listen to me for crying out loud. 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is John the Baptist. This is Elijah. You have to understand at this point in time, there was 400 years of silence for the people of Israel. Malachi had spoke about the coming of Elijah and here he is. If you read Zechariah's song, it's so beautiful. I'm just gonna read a few verses because we don't have all the time. But 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Salvation from his enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to his father, Abraham. He goes on and on and on, praising God. So we look at God's word in this story. I want to point out to you four things today, at least four clear reasons why we have hope. Here's the first one. God gave us access to the throne room of God. Can you say that after me? You can say it better than that. I'm just going to wait until class gets, you know. Say it again. I realize I threw you off because I said God and it says Jesus up there, but I get it. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are. That's huge. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now look, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly people. They did spend time with God. How do I know this? Because the scripture here tells us that they did in several ways. But here's the one that strikes me the most. What the angel said to Zechariah was, God has heard your prayers. That means this man has been praying now look, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, I said, are in the line of Aaron. That makes them priests. And the priest went into the Holy of Holies. The priest was the one who had access to God. So as this troubled me in the reading, I realized that Zechariah was a Levite. And I wanted to go back to this, this, the beginning of this priestly lineage. So I went back to Leviticus. Excuse me, Leviticus says this in 10.6. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eliezer and Ephthmar, do not let your hair become unkept and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But all your relatives, all of the other Israelites, they can mourn this way for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. You understand there was a lot of lives lost by fire, including the lives of those in the family of Aaron. But Moses is saying to them, don't you grieve, don't you fall into despair, don't you doubt or you will die. Boy, I thought shutting somebody up for a period of time was a harsh punishment. He's saying to these priests, you'll die if you despair. Don't show people that you're in despair. Now, let me understand what happened here. This just seems so unfair to me. And years ago, I heard a man teach on this, and he made it clear. It struck him at one point he said the priests were the one who had access to the very presence of God. And can I tell you, the actual message is this, anyone who has access to God never has reason for despair or hopelessness. Do you understand? If you have access to God, there is always hope with God. Where are the priests today? Don't point at me. You're missing the big picture if you think, thank you, sister knows down there. Do you know the scripture calls you, you're a royal priesthood? You have access to the very presence of God. And if you're not intentionally spending time with God, you are not appropriating the very thing that Jesus died to give you. Oh my if you are not intentionally spending time with God, listening to him, speaking to him, being with him in his spirit and in his word, allowing him to mold and shape you, allowing you to, him to lead you deeper into his presence, you are not applying the very thing that Jesus died to give you, relationship. Do you understand? You are a priest. You now have access to the Holy of Holies. You understand something happened that was significant when Jesus died. He said, it is finished, and you know what happened, right? There was an earthquake, and that temple curtain, which, by the way, was inches thick, it tore in two. That curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the outer sanctuary. Now God's people have access to the Holy of Holies. That's you. That's me. 
And we have hope because we have access to our relationship with God. Now look, everything else flows from this one point. We have hope because we have access. So I want you to go ahead and say this out loud with me. I'll say it first and you'll say it after me. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are with me always. My life is in your hands. Let's say this together. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are with me always. My life is in your hands. So it doesn't stop there because his presence, really, all these other beautiful things flow out of it. And I could stay up here forever and talk to you about all of them, but I'm gonna hit three more. You are being renewed inwardly day by day. Look, 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Anybody say amen to that? Those of us who are getting older, outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen, the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, do you think that Zechariah and Elizabeth's faith grew as a result of what they went through? Oh my gosh. Do you think they signed up? Do you think Zechariah signed up to go mute for all that time? No. Look, one of the most repeated phrases in the book of Luke is do not be afraid. And can I tell you something that fear is really just a lack of trust in God. And fear is probably one of the number one problems in your life. There's more suffering, more pain, more unnecessary pain in the world. It comes as a result of our sinful, fearful hearts. So this is why God contrasts his love with fear. He says, perfect love casts out all fear. So how do you overcome fear? You focus on the goodness of God as revealed in the word of God. And when you do this, you start experiencing renewal in your life. You trust Jesus to lead you into the word in such a way that his spirit speaks to you and one word from God can literally change everything about you. Scripture says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind. Believe me, you can have a lot of stuff going on around you, but if your mind and heart are at rest in the presence of God, you're good. You can have tornadoes flying around your house, but if you're at peace with God inside, you're good. You can have all kinds of wheels coming off of carts in your life, but if you're at peace with God inside, you're good. So God is your healer. Say this with me. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything you are my healer. My life is in your hands. So we have hope because we have access and we have hope because we have a healer. We also have hope because we have a redeemer. And look, when God bought you back with his blood through Jesus Christ, he bought back with you every encounter you have ever had, every victory and every disappointment. Every defeat has been bought back and has been redeemed. Every victory you will ever have and every disappointment you will ever have has already been bought back. This means God uses all things to good for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. The angel said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now let me ask you a question. Did it end up being any less good news because of Zachariah's doubting? No, it actually probably ended up being better news. Why? Because the struggle that he went through told a story of God's faithfulness. Endure hardship is discipline, the scripture says. God is treating you as his children. God uses all things in our lives to grow us up into him. Did you listen to Zechariah praise God after the birth of his son and the loosening of his tongue? Did you hear him complain once about God's discipline? Did you hear him once argue about how God orchestrated this whole thing? All these circumstances, no. Why? Because he understood the scripture in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How about you? Do you grumble? Do you complain? Now, it's legitimate to ask a question sometimes. God, what are you doing? <laughs> That's a legitimate question. But when you can't trace his hand, you gotta trust his heart. He's up to something good. So we have hope because we have access. We have hope because we have a healer and a redeemer. Say this after me, or say it with me. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are my redeemer. 
My life is in your hands. So we come to this. We have hope because one day we will be fully and completely with the Lord Jesus. I can't tell you what that day will look like, but I can tell you this. It will be a huge party. One of the likes that you have never seen before. And you will be set free to a level that you have never been set free to before. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known in Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, you have a hope that lasts forever if you are in Christ Jesus because he has promised us these things and he is good to fulfill his promises. That time there'll be no more sorrows, no more hopelessness, and no more fear, for the old order of things has passed away. Say it with me. Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. You are my eternal hope. My life is in your hands. Lord, we thank you that in you there is always hope. Hope because you are here with us now and you will never leave us. You have given us Eternal access to you. We acknowledge you being here now. Our lives are in your hand. We acknowledge that you are the one who heals. Our lives are in your hands. You are the one who redeems. Our lives are in your hands. You are eternal hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Our lives are in your hands. Jesus, we give you everyone and everything. Knowing that we are not capable of holding this weary world together, only you can do that. We surrender all our attempts at control to you and we pray one thing, have your way. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand together and close with a word of worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.